All right, just by way of reminder before we get started with our message this morning that right after church today we will have a very brief uh, business meeting specially called for the purpose of voting on the budget for next year. So it'll take as long as it takes us to pass out the, the ballots, everybody to fill it out, we'll pass them back in and uh, that, that'll be the only thing we're going to do at that meeting. So it won't take very long um, at all. All right, today if you... If you have your Bibles, you're thinking, I know, open them to Hebrews because, you know, our little study that was going to take uh, a few weeks is now going on a, a few more weeks. And it reminds me of Frederick Beekner, who wrote of an aunt who was famously always saying, that's all I'm going to say about that. And he says, and she went on to say very much more about that. So in any event, we are not in Hebrews today because we're going to take about a four-week break from our study of Hebrews because it is December, and that is Christmas time. And I like Christmas. Um, I like the... Uh, I just like the feel of the weather. I like the, the smells coming from kitchens, and um, I like the lights, and um, I, I know that it's not uh, biblical or you know scriptural in the sense that that's not what Christmas was at that time, but uh, that's what it's become for us to celebrate uh, Christ uh, coming to us. And there is some historical foundation for uh, this time of year. Of course, we don't know the exact date in which Jesus was born for a lot of reasons, uh, the main one of which is that they used a different calendar than we do. They had a lunar calendar and had the months don't all line up, the days aren't exactly the same, um, and we use a more modern calendar um, than they had. So uh, we don't know the day exactly, but we do know the, the month uh, that the angel came to Mary, and we, we can assume that she um, conceived very soon after that. And so if you just roll the clock forward nine months, because we know that's generally, uh, you do end up about this time of year. So there, there is a sense in which people say, oh, that's not even when Jesus was born. He's probably born in April. No. No, it was about, we do know some, uh, we have, do have some knowledge of the timing of his birth. So we're going to talk about Christmas for the next uh, three or four weeks because it, uh, well, obviously it's Christmas. So we're going to start, I think, where all Christmas um, series or all Christmas considerations of Jesus should begin, and that is in the beginning. And so not in Genesis in the beginning, but the other in the beginning, which is John. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the gospel according to John, and we're going to talk this morning about the giver of the gift, the nature of the gift, the giving of the gift, the reason for the giving of the gift, and the reception of the gift. I know you say you just violated Hosey's points or advice, Brother William, because now you have five points, and anything beyond three you know is supposed to be a two-part sermon. Well, we're, we're going to move pretty quickly. So I uh, would we'll talk this morning about the gift that was given and the reason for it primarily. So we see in the Gospel according to John, he begins, as I said, where all consideration should, and that is in the beginning. So the, those are his first three words. This should immediately take your mind to Genesis. And that is quite intentional. The writer is trying to get us to understand that when we talk about the Word becoming flesh, it is a creative act. It is a creation rehappening. He's reshaping the world. That is not not to say that Christ was not pre-existent, and we'll talk about what, how, uh, what that means in a few moments. But in the beginning, it's supposed to take us back to Genesis because he's going to equate the Word, it says, was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Some translations will say, did not overcome it. Notice who the giver of the gift will be. It is God, it is his plan, it is his doing, it is his initiation from the beginning. In the beginning was the word. Now we need to understand that when we read the English translation, we're reading exactly that. It's the translation of a particular word. And in Greek, that word is logos. And so when we talk about the word, it is the Greek word logos. Now, because we can get confused, my, my grandmother, rest her soul and bless her heart, fully believe that when, or seem to believe, that when you talk about the Gospel of John and it says, in the beginning was the word, what she pictured in her mind was a King James Version, leather-bound, black Bible. Okay, that's, that was the Word that was preexistent, you know, the Word of God. Okay, Understand that when John says, in the beginning was the Word, he is not talking at this, in this context about Scripture. Okay? This, is, this is not a reference to the Bible. This is a reference to the Logos. You say, well, isn't that translated word? Yes, it is. But in Greek philosophy and philosophical thought, the Greeks had an understanding that in the universe there is order. And something put that in order. It is what we would call an intelligent design theory. They didn't call it that. They called it the Logos. And what John is trying to do is he's trying to capture the minds of those in the Roman, Greco-Roman world who have bought into this Greek philosophical thinking that in the universe, if you look, there is order, there is consistency, the stars move at a particular rate in a particular way all the time. There are seasons and they happen regularly, there's day and night, that there is a rhythm to the universe and something or someone put all that together. There is, in their, in their thinking, a creator. The, the Greek uh, philos or philosophers believe that, that it would just be illogical to look at something created the way it has been and conclude from that that there is no creator. That does not make any logical sense to them. So they develop this whole philosophical discussion about the word, or in their language, the logos. And so what John is saying is this. Yes, you are right, Greek philosophers. There is a logos. There is an organizing being. There is someone who put all this together and keeps it all going. And in the beginning, he was this word, was the logos. And now John says, I'm going to tell you who the logos is. In the beginning was the word, the logos. And the logos was with God. And not only was he with God, but he was God. And he says, he was in the beginning with God. And this, in verse 3, is how you know that the Logos is not a reference, or the word, word is not a reference to the Bible or Scripture as in the Word of God. You get to verse 3 because it says, all things came into being through him. The Logos is a person. It is Christ. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and life was the light of men. 
and the light shines in the darkness, the darkness did not comprehend it. Notice that as we prepare our hearts and our minds to see this magnificent gift that is about to be sent to us, that it is God, it is the Logos, it is Christ himself as the creative agent of all that is, all that ever has been, and all that ever will be, he is the one giving the gift. And so often at this time of year, we need to recognize when we talk about things like, um, you know, the reason for the season, we would need to remember Jesus as given to us. Understand that the fact that we have received Christ means somebody gave Christ. In this case, Christ is giving himself. And he says, all things came into being through him. It's interesting, interesting to think about, and it's almost one of those paradoxes, if you think about it too hard, your mind starts really beginning to uh, unravel your own thoughts, if you know what I mean. But you think about Christ created his own mother. He's the giver of life. She would have no life were it not for him. And yet he condescended to be born of her. When we talk about condescension, we mean to step down from, to lower oneself. The degree to which he condescended is infinite. His glory was infinite. His power was infinite. His person, his wonder, his character was perfect, and everything about him was to the highest superlative, and yet he came to be born of one he himself had created. Magnificent, the giver of this gift. Magnificent, the giver who pours out not someone else's life, but his own for us. Say, well, there was a sense in which the Father gave the Son, and John will pick up on that idea too, right? John 3.16, everybody knows John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave. He is the giver. Well, which is it? Is it Jesus giving? Is it God giving? Yes. And it pleased the Father to crush the Son. I don't know if you've ever given someone a gift that you yourself treasured. I think, well, how do you, how do you mean? Well, you know, if, if I go to the Walmarts and and buy something. Well, you know, that's not a treasure of mine. I you know, when buy you a gift, I give you a gift. And if you don't like it, what do you immediately say? Whenever a lot of times you give somebody something, you, you we say this all the time this time of year. You'll hear it, I promise you. You can always return it. You can always return it. You can always exchange it. Sometimes we're so apologetic about a gift when we give it. The person opening is saying, well, this must be like not good because they're like, you know, if you don't like it, don't worry about it. You know, I've got the receipt. Just remember, you can always return it. You so qualify it. They're like, well, okay, why even open it then? You know, um, but that's not a treasure to you. I remember one time we got Hayden a bicycle. Was that for his birthday or Chris? I think it's a birthday um, and put spent all night you know, putting this thing together is back in the day when you got them from Walmart in pieces. You know, they came in a box and you didn't bother with directions, not if you're a real man. And so, you know, at some point you finally bother with, oh, she'll read the directions and start telling you how to do it after, after watching you struggle for a little while because that's part of the fun. But in any event, 
we put this thing together, and, and it was, uh, you know, beautiful. Mechanized, you know, piece of mechanized glory, just shiny and new. And I couldn't wait to give it to him, uh, just because we were excited about it. So birthday comes, he, he comes running into the living room, and he looks at it, and it, you just know he's, he's going to be just overjoyed and jump up and down, just like all good parents. You love to watch your children celebrate, don't you? And he looked at it, and he said, oh, it's a bicycle. <laughs> well, we were crushed. He didn't want a bicycle. He probably wanted a book or something. I don't know. But anyway, uh, I think he wrote it once, fell in a ditch, and then it went back to Walmart. So, um, but I remember that feeling of I'm so excited because, you know, I, I understand the joys, the, you know, the unbridled freedom of riding your bike down the street. Look, Ma, no hands, you know. The, no, no, just not, not really for, for him. What if you gave somebody something that was truly a treasure, though? And they said, oh, I don't want that. I mean, what if it was something, uh, even a thing? I, and I know we, we sometimes attach too much sentimentalism to, to items and things and material, you know, that, that we shouldn't. But some things we, we pass down through uh, a family that become important to us, become a treasure to us. I have, I have a typewriter in my collection that, oh, I, I, I wish it was mine, but it's Carrie's grandma's typewriter, so, so never shall it be mine. But anyway, it's, uh, uh, you know... Because it's important. It's, it's a trade. Now, if you gave something, pass that along to your lineage and said, you understand that, how important this was. This is grandma's diamond ring or this is, or whatever it is. It's just a treasure. And I said, oh, okay. You know, and then you hear like the next day they went down to the pawn shop, and, you know. What would that do? What would that say to you? You, you would have an emotional response to that. What if as a father you've had the joy of giving your daughter to man to be his wife? And if after a while that man were to say, ah, forget her, walk away from her, or maybe even worse, he's unkind to her, or makes her unhappy, how do you feel, fathers? Like, you know, prepare a prison cell or something, right? I mean, you're like, okay. Um, and yet, God gave. And not just any old treasure. Now, God gives and gives and gives and gives. And I don't know, I've, I've said it before, but it's just so true. God, God so many times has just drugged me to one blessing after the other, kicking and screaming. Because he's like always trying to help God out, messing things up. And he just keeps blessing. But, you know, this is, this is unique. This is not just something God gives. This is a treasure that he sends. His only begotten Son. We need to remember that because sometimes if we're not very careful in our theology, we get this idea that because we are going to be conformed to the image of Christ, we are going to be like, you know, God's sons and daughters in the way that Jesus is the God's son. Uh, and we will never be God's sons and daughters the way Jesus is God's son because he is the 
only begotten, and the Greek word is monogonous, which means only one or the unique one. He is uniquely God's son. He is of the same substance, character, and nature, and person as God. You and I will never be that. So this is unique. He's giving himself. He's giving you the creator. He's giving you life. And then the one that gave you life comes to know that which he has never known, death, so that you might have real life and life eternal. Oh, the giver this time of year is magnificent. Have you ever gotten a gift so wonderful and yet it was given anonymously? And you think, I don't know who this is, but the, the gift itself speaks of the generosity. It speaks of the character. It speaks of the nature. It speaks of the goodness of whoever the giver is. Oh, wow. This gift speaks of the excellencies of the giver. Don't forget the giver this time of year. The nature of the gift is it is eternal. If we look through 6 or 8 very quickly, there came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him, that being John. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which came into the world Enlighten, which coming into the world enlightens every man. This is supposed to call to our minds that moment in prehistory, if you will, that moment in Genesis, because he's already taken us back to Genesis when God said what? Let there be light. This is the nature, the magnitude, the eternal nature of the Christ. And you can receive a lot of gifts in this lifetime and, and you know, prayerfully, you know, you, you have. I'm sure you've been well blessed as I have. None of those things are going to last forever. None of it. Except one. There's one gift you've been given that will last into eternity. And that is the Christ. That you will take with you. Everything else you will leave behind. The nature of the gift is that He is eternal. He is the light Verse 10 and following, he was in the world, the world was, and though the world was made through him, the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Uh, there's some discussion about whether or not he's still talking about the world, or at that, uh, in verse 11, he's transitioning to a smaller and smaller group of people. He talks about first, the whole world didn't know him. And then when in verse 11, when he talks about coming to his own, he's talking about the Jewish people. And they, of all people, should have known him, but they didn't. They didn't receive him. And then gloriously, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Who were born not of blood, and bear this in mind, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. You know what he's saying right there? You were not born 
into the kingdom of God because of who your family is, not by blood. You were not born into the kingdom because your mom and dad happened to be Christian. You were not born into the kingdom by the will of the flesh. In other words, you weren't born into the kingdom because you decided to be born into the kingdom, because you decided to do uh, this or that. Okay? It was not your decision. It was not your doing. It was God's doing. And it wasn't by the will of man. In other words, nobody voted to have you into the kingdom or not. And some, some of you, if you're like me, you're glad there's no vote, right? I mean, we, we do vote at churches whether to have members, but when it comes to salvation, uh, people don't get to vote up or down on you. There's only one will, and that is by the will of God. You say, but I have to receive Christ. You do. But it's up to God. It is. Explain that. I can't. I just know this. There was a moment in time when I poured out my heart to Christ and I gave my life to Him. And in that moment, the Bible says I was made a new creature and I became a child of God, which previously I was not. And there was that moment in my experience, in my life, in my volitional self, I gave myself to Him and that's when it happened. But I also know this, my name was written in the book of Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world. He who wrote the end before the beginning put it there. Do I understand that? No. Do I rejoice in that? Yes, I do. See, this idea that you have the eternal security of God having pinned your name in unerasable ink, by the way, in the Lamb's Book of Life, was never meant to divide people the way it does so many times today. It was written by Paul and Peter and others to have us celebrate the amazing nature of salvation that is the gift given to us this time of year. What a wonder! I'm glad I can't understand it. I find it magnificently enigmatic, wonderfully mind-boggling, the nature of our gift from all eternity. Notice the unique way in which it was given. And the Word became flesh. And in that short phrase, everybody hit the brakes. The, re the Greeks hit the, hit the brakes because they thought, God, a God, they wouldn't become flesh because flesh is evil. The Jewish people, they hit the brakes pretty much the same reason. God's not going to become flesh. And the Word became flesh. That's how you know it's not a reference to Scripture, because the Bible did not become flesh. The Logos did. The, the Word became flesh, and not only did He become flesh, but He dwelt among us. And not only did He dwell among us, we saw His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The giving of the gift. Now, I have received some gifts wrapped in unique ways. Okay? You ever done the whole thing where you, you get this 
You know, great big box and you, you wrap it. Well, you can't do that one first. But anyway, you know, but inside that box, there's a smaller box that's wrapped. And inside that box is kind of like the, the old Russian doll. You know, by the time you get down to it, it's, it's you know, a peanut or something, you know. There's a game where you wrap gifts in like a whole roll of cellophane or whatever. And, and you know, I think the game is people are wearing oven mittens and they have to try to unwrap it to get to the next gift. Now, I mean, there have been some unique ways to wrap a gift. But the word, that we look, look at the glory that's above it. The life, the light of men, the creator of all things, the wonder of all he is. He became flesh and dwelt among us. Now that is a unique way to give a gift. And it had to be so. Why? You would find it difficult, nay, you would find it impossible, according to Karl Barth, to have an understandable relationship with God. Because He is the Holy Other. He is so transcendent, so magnificent, so omnipotent, so holy and other than you, there is no way you could really have a relationship with Him. So what happened? He became flesh because you can have a relationship with Jesus. He condescended to become flesh so that you and I might have a relationship with Him. What a gift. And it had to be packaged like that. But the personhood of Christ never changed. That is how he is human and divine. Okay. He became flesh. But the personhood has always been one of deity. All right. Finally, or second, second to finally... The reason for the gift. Because sometimes I, I think that when we talk about the reason for the season, we want to talk about Jesus as the reason for the season, but let's back up one step further and say, what's the reason for Jesus? It's simply this. And it's not John 3.16, by the way. Because everybody knows John 3.16, and it's a wonderful verse of great truth. And hopefully that when people see the sign at the ball games or wherever, John 3.16, maybe it might compel somebody to get their Bible out and actually look up John 3.16. Or maybe they wouldn't do that anymore, William. You're so old school. They would Google it, right? Somebody says, what, what's John 3.16? Well, they'd Google it. In fact, before you finish the question, sometimes your children, if they're like over the age of... Two, uh, have already Googled it by the time you finish the question. Ah, okay, so John 3.16. Doesn't really give us the whole answer. The reason for Jesus, well, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Why? Because whoever believes in Him shall not perish. Are we perishing? What is the reason for the season? And it is not just that Jesus can be Savior. What, why does He need to be a Savior? Because we need saving. The reason for the season is this, verse 18. He who believes in Him is not judged, but he who does not believe in Him is judged already. You, without Christ, stand condemned. In fact, there are other translations where it says judge. That's the word they use. 
He did not come into the world to condemn the world, but because the world was already condemned. Sometimes, even as believers, we have this idea that someday you're going to be judged. Someday you're going to be judged. Yes, 1 Peter 5, uh, I believe it's 5, talks about uh, there will be a judgment. He talks about judging the living and the dead, the great and the small. Particularly if you go to the book of Revelation and look at chapter 20, you see the great judgment scene where people uh, are judged according to, it says, their works and deeds. Think, well, see, it says you're going to be judged. Here's what you're being judged for, though. Not to determine guilt. That trial's over. That's already been done. Even in our modern times in, in you know, this world, if, you're, uh, if you commit certain crimes, murder uh, being one, there are two phases to the trial. There's the guilt phase, then there's the punishment phase. In the guilt phase, the only thing under consideration by the jury is whether or not this person is guilty. Then, after, if they are found guilty, there's a whole other trial or a whole other series of uh, proceedings to determine punishment. But they're two separate things. And that's what we need to understand. When, you know, when we talk about being judged by God, it is not to determine whether or not you are guilty. You are. That's already happened. You've already been judged in, in consideration of whether or not you are culpable or guilty, and you lost. You say, well, I, I don't remember that. Of course you don't remember that. You were a little bitty. And I, I used to say, and I have said, you know, you, you know when that happened? When you drew your first breath. But that's actually theologically not correct. You know when that happened? Look at Psalm 51. You look at Psalm 51 where David is pouring out his heart to God for forgiveness. And he says, against you alone have I sinned. You know the depths of my iniquity. And he pours out his heart for God's grace. And then he makes the most staggering statement. He says, in sin did my mother conceive me. You know when you stood condemned? When you were conceived, you and I are conceived with a sin nature that places us in a position of having been condemned. And so God sent the Son, this great, magnificent gift. The reason for the season is the gift, but what's the reason for the gift? Is because we desperately need the gift. God sent a Savior because we need saving, because we stand condemned. So, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to judge the world, but through Him the world might be saved. So next time somebody says to you, as they've often said to me, I just don't believe in a God that would send somebody to hell. You should tell them, good, I don't either. I don't either. 
What I believe is in is a God who will see people already condemned, who have already condemned themselves and are destined for hell, who will reach down and send the most magnificent gift you've ever imagined to prevent it. He has done everything he can and could and necessary, and wonderfully so. He has given his own life so they don't have to go and be separated and condemned. I don't believe in a God who would send somebody to hell either. I believe in a God who is just and who sees people who have already been condemned. And he reaches down. He lays in a manger the greatest gift that's ever been given. Eternal life through his Son. Which leaves us only... The fifth point, the reception of the gift. We see the world didn't know him. His own people wouldn't receive him. And I have very little to add to that point because you see, the reception of the gift, that's up to you. That is completely up to you. Receive the gift. Or reject the gift. That's up to you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.